Um, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I know Becky kind of referenced this, but maybe some of you weren't heard. There, I heard that there's something happening today. Um, uh, some people said Super Bowl, but yeah, I know that, but there's also Welcome to Sunridge right after church today. And so if you're new to Sunridge, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's free food. You can start to get your Super Bowl party on. And um, we tried to keep this a secret because we didn't want everybody showing up at it, but I'm going to tell you guys. Um, actually, for the last three weeks, I have been rehearsing with Justin Timberlake. And so um, in the middle of welcome today, I am actually going to perform his routine, and I know that you'll really look forward to that. Okay, so... I'm just kidding, in case you're buying into that. Um, if you're joining us, you know, brand new here, um, we started a series a couple of weeks ago called Deeply Rooted, which is about how we sink our roots uh, of our faith deep, and uh, we, we're talking about what that means and how to do it and some of the steps that we can take to have those truly deep roots in our faith. And uh, accompanying this series is this 10-week small group study called Rooted. It came to us from uh, uh, Mariner's Church in Newport Beach. And in chapter 3, which we're in, and the, the title of the chapter is, you know, how, how does God speak to us? How can we hear the voice of God? Uh, Rooted has this quote in it, and I, I wanted to give it to you. Discipleship is helping people hear God's voice and taking the right next step. You know, that statement is true whether you are a brand new Christian, or you've been a Christian as long as you can remember, it is all about hearing God's voice and taking the next right step for you. Critical to that process happening is that we hear God's voice. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we hear God's voice? How does God speak to us? And, you know, for the uninitiated or people that are new to Christianity or maybe not even a Christian, it's like that sounds weird, just that whole concept. But it's, it's a phrase that we use, and it's, it's one of those things that Christians say that means different things to different people. So I thought I'd take a stab at some of the ways that I know people have interpreted God speaking to them. And I'm going to put those up on the screen right now. We'll just go through them. God spoke to me, interpreted it. could mean I actually hear an audible voice from God. It could also mean that I had a dream that seemed to mean something more than just a dream. It could mean that I felt something. Uh, hearing God's voice could mean I had a thought, and that thought seemed significant. Uh, it could also lead into a prompting. It's like I had a thought, I had a dream, and now I feel prompted to do something. Hearing God's voice could be I finally decided to do something because some, there was some breakthrough. Uh, could also mean that someone gave me advice, and that prompted me to take another step. Sometimes we use the phrase that way. Sometimes uh, God spoke to me means I was reading my Bible, and a verse really struck me. It was writing it. We say, God spoke to me through that verse. And then lastly, uh, sometimes we mean I have an idea, and I don't want anyone to debate me about it. And that's a really effective tool, because soon as God told you, we can't even discuss it anymore, Right? <laughs> So uh, I don't know if you found kind of your version of God spoke to me up there, but what I can tell you is that the idea of how we hear from God ha has been controversial since the Bible times. 
They debated even in the Old Testament, as you'll see as we go through, whether God was speaking through somebody or not. And the, even, even the early church had to determine what books were really the true voice of God and bringing forward the canon of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's been an ongoing thing, and it's polarized the Christian community for many, many years. Uh, you know, the two poles or the opposite ends is there are some people who feel that you hear from God audibly, regularly. And then there are people on the other side that say that there's no way that that can happen, that God only speaks through the scriptures and there's nothing else. And then, of course, there's everything in the middle, right? So I know what I'm stepping into here. I know what's going on. I'm not clueless. So let's, let's see if we can agree on some things from the very beginning here. First of all, I bet you that we could all agree that there have been people throughout history who claimed they heard from God who didn't. I think that also we could agree that uh, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. So I'm hopeful that we can find agreement on that, but I'll bet you that all of us can agree that God does have something to say. And most of us sitting in this room, we want to know what that is. You either are searching for God, you, you want to know more about God, you want to know what to do and how to live. These are all reasons why we would want to hear from God. Now, I hope today to, to bring some clarity to this topic, uh, in spite of everything I know about it. So I, I want you to just, first of all, I want to say that Today I'm going to approach this topic biblically, first of all, first and foremost. What does the Bible say about how God speaks to us? And then also I want you to know that I'm speaking pastorally. I know that's not a word, I just made it up. Um, but all I'm saying is, I have your best interests at heart. As someone who, it's like, just think of the irony. I'm a person standing in front of you telling you what God says. It's like, there's, there's just, like, I don't know, it's like, that feels weird. But I do have your best interests at heart, and that's especially important if we disagree on a major point or, um, or we disagree on even some nuance of, the, of what we talk about today. And I also want to tell you that I'm speaking personally because I'm only a human being. I'm just a person. And, uh, you know, some people say, you know what I love about Britt as a pastor is he's so human. Yeah, yeah, and somebody's like, yeah, he's extra human. Have you ever been around him? So that's all I am. So I get the irony that I'm standing up here teaching the Bible, but my intention is to provide some clarity uh, for all of us. I know that we want to know how God speaks to us today. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm just telling you this is totally uncharacteristic of me. You're getting Professor Britt. I'm going to throw so many verses at you and so many points. We've got to click through fast. If you get lost, there's a note sheet. You have that. If you fall behind, when we post our sermons, you can get that note sheet with the answers filled in. You get the answers later, but you should still fill it in today because it helps you track where we are. And uh, you can even go back and re-listen. And I want to say to you, like, if we disagree, I, I welcome conversation. Um, I don't welcome nasty emails, to be honest. You know, if you want to just blow me up, you know, save it, because I'm just going to let it go. 
But if you want to engage in conversation about this or you have questions, I would love to interact with people on that. I know that I don't know all the truth, but I'm going to do my very best today. So buckle up. We got a lot of scripture to go through. Get ready. How does God speak to us? Number one, he speaks to us through the life and teachings of Jesus, through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, the writer of Hebrews, that's a, that's a letter in your New Testament that's written to Jewish Christians. So imagine the changes that they're going through as they experience faith in Jesus Christ, which is, it comes from their faith, but it's so different. And to that end, Hebrews 1, the very first part of the letter says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In other words, to my Jewish brothers and, Christ, uh, and sisters who have converted to Christianity in first century Christianity, um, you know, I know that in the past we learned about God from our forefathers who learned about it from the prophets that God had raised up to speak for him. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The writer says from the very beginning, you have understood God a certain way, but now, since the son of God has come, everything that we learn and hear must be filtered through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, with each one of these points, you see on your notes, these are all filled in. You don't even have to write here. There's an up arrow and a down arrow, and I'm going to try to tackle what's the upside of that way of hearing God's voice, and then what's the downside? What are some of the disadvantages? So the upside to hearing God's voice through Jesus is that anything that God has to say should be, and I, uh, and I would say can be, corroborated through the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, if someone, if, if you think that you've heard something from God, you know, what would Jesus do applies here? Is it consistent with the way Jesus lived, the values that he advocated, the, um, the teachings that he gave? It has to be filtered through Jesus. The downside is that, you know, we all have our biases about Jesus. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the message of who is God. God Jesus Christ was God in a human body in a way that we could understand. And uh, a, a great book for you to read, if you're interested in that, is Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew because he explores some of the things that, you know, 2018 Christians in America just would not know about Jesus and the life that he, the context in which he lived. So we all have our biases, so that's a downside. Uh, second way God speaks to us is through people. You know, I mean, like, who doesn't, like, engage people when you have a big decision? Our friends, our loved ones, our family, coaches, parents, teachers. There's no such thing as a loner Christian. If, if you think that your relationship is, like, monkish with God, it's like, you know, I just, it's just me and God and nobody else matters, it's like, you're just going to become weird if you, you, you go that way. We need people to speak it into our lives. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.16 that we're to admonish one another in all wisdom. We are, we are here to advise one another and give wise words and to coach one another up and encourage each other. Um, I love it 
in the early church where they had a lot of decisions to make, all this merging of different cultures. In Acts, which is a book about the, the first century church, we see that uh, the apostles and elders in Acts 15.6 met together to consider this question, the question of how do we merge these cultures? And so you have these church leaders who all get together, and you know what? They dialogue back and forth. This is, this is people who love God and come at, at their relationship from God from their experience sitting down with one another and talking about the future of the church. And then uh, in Hebrews 10, 24, we have this admonishment, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's like, did you know that as a Christian, part of your role in other Christians' life is to be an encouragement to them and to speak these words that spur other people on? in their faith. The upside to hearing God's voice from people is that people can provide wise counsel because they know you and your situation. There's usually people that are in your circle and they, they know who you are. They know your strengths and your weaknesses and they can advise you on that basis. Um, when I decided to leave the fire department and, and become the lead pastor here, I, I did this in a formal way. I gathered together what I called a clearness committee it's kind of a Quaker tradition. And we met together to talk about this thing, that I would leave the fire department. And uh, that was very powerful to me as I moved forward in that process. Uh, the downside to hearing from God's voice from people is that people are human and they get it wrong. And you'll find when you're seeking people's advice, you'll know this because you'll get conflicting advice, first of all. You know, there were some people that told me that is a really bad idea, that you become the pastor of Sunridge. Some of you are like, yeah, I agree with them. That was a really bad idea. <laughs> and others said, it's a great idea. So in the end, you know what I had to do? I still had to decide for myself. But I, I opened myself up to the advice of others. We hear God's voice through people. Thirdly, we hear God's voice through circumstances. Through circumstances. Now, Another way to put this is, you know, God opens and closes doors. Those are circumstances. We uh, come upon opportunities. I could start this business. I could marry this girl. I could go to this college. And you know, it's the opening of cl and closing of doors that leads us forward or ends it. Proverbs 16.9, the writer says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Like we, we, want, we want to move forward. We want to make a decision. And we, we start toward that. And we might use all these means that I'm talking about today. But we still have the confidence that God is going to determine our steps. That, and he may use circumstances to do that. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. In other words, if I go through the process acknowledging God from the beginning and I listen to his voice, I have the confidence as I move forward that God's, God's going to lead me one way or the other. The advantage to hearing God's voice through circumstances is that God does, he often does, open and close doors to direct us. You know that. 
But the downside is just because a door opens or closes, it's not necessarily the definitive answer, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because this opportunity is in front of you doesn't necessarily mean you, could, you should take it. I mean, you may look at it and your friends may say, that's a terrible decision for you. You are not equipped for that. So, you know, you can't always tell whether you should pursue that business, marry that person, take that promotion. And, you know, sometimes a closed door isn't a closed door. It's more about perseverance, isn't it? You know, uh, we have Super Bowl today, and one of the greatest stories in NFL history to me is Rocky Blyer. And you might not be familiar with that name, but Rocky Blyer went to Notre Dame. He got drafted by the Steelers back in the day. And um, after his first year, his rookie year, he got drafted into the Army and sent to Vietnam. And he went to Vietnam, and in a battle, he was shot in the left leg, and a grenade went off near his right leg. And it filled his right leg with shrapnel, and he lost part of his right foot. And the doctor that treated him told him, you know, you will never play football again. And you know, Rocky Blyer came back, and in two years, he was playing for the Steelers again. And you know, he has four NFL championship rings. So a closed door or an opportunity to persevere? On the other hand, you know, uh, in my football career, as I landed in a Division II school, uh, there were many coaches and people that told me that the NFL was not going to be part of my future. <laughs> and they were right. <laughs> On the other hand, I heard a lot of no's as I pursued a career in the fire service. And in fact, the first class I ever took when I went back to school at night, I was in a large auditorium with about 300 students in there. It was called Introduction to Fire Science. And the instructor, I would call him professor, but he was a fireman, so, you know, that, that can't happen. But, um, you know, he did this demographic thing where you stood up, and, then, and it, basically what you should know is I was the last person standing in the class, and, and hence the least likely that would be successful in his example. So he walked up the aisle in this auditorium class and in front of 299 other students, he said, you know, what's your name, Britt? You should think about doing something else because da, 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 he had all these reasons. And you know, he was wrong. And it just made me more determined. So in the end, people can help you. Circumstances can help you, but it isn't always definitive. Okay, fourth way we hear the voice of God is through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> John says in John 14, 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. You know, in this verse, counselor is advisor. It's like a legal advisor who is there to tell you what to do or to speak on your behalf. And the Holy Spirit does that for us. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul writes, God reveals things to us through his Spirit. And as you read on in that passage, the Spirit reveals things to us that 
If we did not have the Spirit, we could never know. So God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, the upside of this is that the Holy Spirit is involved in virtually all voices of God and leading in the way God speaks to us. He's there to help us understand even the Scripture, to sort out uh, wisdom from uh, unwisdom. Or I'm making up words today, folks. Uh, you know, He empowers us to follow through on the, the promptings that we have, uh, even the character that we develop. Uh, Paul talks about it being the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something natural that comes from uh, the Spirit dwelling in us. And even when we get it all wrong, the Spirit of God convicts us. So these, the Spirit is always involved in the things that God is leading us in and, and speaking to us. But the downside is the work of the Holy Spirit, to be honest, can be uh, misunderstood and it can be confusing. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit is, is mysterious. And um, truthfully, there have been many things that have, over the course of Christian history, that have been attributed to the Holy Spirit that were completely unbiblical. So that's the that's the tough part of hearing solely from the Holy Spirit, which leads kind of into the next part. You guys okay? Everyone all right? I know it's Professor Britt. Raise your hands. Shake them. Punch your neighbor. All right, we're doing good. The fifth way God speaks to us is through supernatural means, through supernatural means. You know, in the Bible, God uh, supernaturally spoke prophecies. People said, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and then you're going to go say them. Um, he, he spoke to people through dreams, through miraculous events. He gave people visions. You know, in the Old Testament, God speaks to an animal, Balaam's donkey. That had to be a freak-out moment for everybody around. You know, what? there was no Mr. Ed then, so it wasn't even in their, their paradigm, you know. Uh, God, you know, Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. It says, and the fish didn't speak to him. But when Jonah survived that event, he got the point. He knew that God was telling him something. And, you know, and Paul uh, is, speak, God speaks to Paul through uh, a simple dream where he goes to bed, and in his dream, he sees this guy, just a person, calling out to him saying, please come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul sees that as a calling when he wakes up to say, you know what? I think we need to go there. So God uses supernatural means. And, you know, the upside to that is that when God speaks supernaturally, it tends to be specific and personal. You know, it's, it's bigger and, and more pointed than just like a big general principle that we might find in the Bible. Or even if a Bible verse jumps off the page at us, it, it's very specific and personal. But... The downside is the supernatural can be very subjective. In fact, when, when, when God speaks to us supernaturally, here's the thing. The, the credibility of that voice is based solely on the supernatural way in which it came to us. And so we can get that wrong. There's a lot of things that affect um, how we feel God is prompting us or speaking to us. Our emotions can be part of that, our situation. Um, but whatever God speaks supernaturally to us, you know, 
it has to come in line with faith in the life of Jesus Christ and what we understand in the Bible. The reason why I'm, I'm going to spend a little time on this is because all kinds of things have been claimed to have been, people have claimed to hear the voice of God supernaturally that just didn't, it, they weren't true. I mean, in my lifetime, I've heard people say the world is coming to an end. I've heard people name dates of Jesus' return. Who remembers Y2K? Uh, I've, there are people who, uh, you know, like there's healings that supposedly supernaturally happened that follow-up says that they didn't happen. There were people who claimed to have the gift of healing. They were healers that they turned out only to be shysters. There were people who had dreams and visions that were certainly self-serving, like send me all your money and, I, and God will do this for you. So supernatural can be, when God speaks to us through a supernatural means, it, it can conflict with other things that we know to be true. So they have to be tested. And that's why in your notes I have, like, here's, here's how to test prophecies. Here's three things that you can do when, when someone says or you feel that God has given you a word supernaturally or someone else claims it. First of all, testing prophecies, do they teach a true and full gospel? Paul writes in Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. You know, one way to determine whether someone who claims a supernatural word is truthful is they teach a true and full gospel. And here's, here's the gospel, that there is nobody ever born that is so good that they do not need the redemption of Jesus Christ. And there is so, nobody so bad that they cannot receive the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And yet, some of the supernatural teachers, the gospel is not the forefront of what they're teaching, and they may even teach another gospel. Second test of supernatural prophecies is, does it pass the sniff test? Now, the sniff test is kind of like a fire department word, but I think you get it. It's like, you know, sometimes, like, what's this chemical? Oh, that's deadly cyanide, you know, um, you know, you can give, you know, to give something a sniff test, is, a, is this realistic or not? And right away in the Old Testament, God gives us this of how to test it. In Deuteronomy 18.21, it says, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? How can we know? Verse 22 if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. And that prophet has spoken presumptuously. And let me be clear. You know, in a few weeks we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and there's the gift of prophecy, which uh, can, you know, there's two ways to talk about that. There's kind of like just some people are prophetic in the way they operate, and it just means they're black and white, and they kind of call wrong out, and they're kind of those direct people. But that's not what this is saying. This is, this is more like someone is claiming that God has given them their, his words or her words, and they're saying them. They have a supernatural basis for what they're saying. And Deuteronomy says the way to tell is 
Does what they say come true? You see, a prophet who has heard from God supernaturally is, a, is right about everything all the time. That's what Deuteronomy says. And prophetic words are supernatural teachings from God. They're not like noodles we throw on the wall and say, well, let's just see if something sticks. Oh, those are the true ones. That's, that's not the way it works, Deuteronomy tells us. So they have to, their words need to be true all the time. And, you know, also, I think it's important to point out here where uh, the author says when that happens, they've spoken presumptuously. To be, to, to be presumptuous means to be prideful. And sometimes we can be prideful about the gifts or the things that we think, the gifts that we have or the things that we think God has told us. And we dare not put ourselves in a place of presumption, not in what God is saying. You know, uh, when, when I was a fire captain, I uh, there was a guy that worked for me um, who was a devout Christian. And, you know, we had a stack of policies and rules. There's, just, there's a way to do things, everything. It's like the military. And, but this guy had decided that he told me, Jesus told me I don't have to do that. I know it's in the policy, but Jesus told me that. And I said, you know, what's funny about that is I'm a Christian, and Jesus didn't tell me that, and I'm your boss. <laughs> so, you know, unless Jesus tells me and the fire department, who we have the Holy Bible called the Standard Operating Procedures, unless Jesus tells me, I'm going to write you up if you don't do it. So that's presumption. That's presumption besides being illogical. Third test is, does it pass the scripture test? Does it pass the scripture test? First uh, John 4, 1, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets had gone out into the world. So um, John is saying, you know, when somebody says something, give it the sniff test, give it the scripture test, test what is being said. And in Acts 17, 11, we see the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. That kind of probably hurt the Thessalonians' feelings. <laughs> For they received the message with great eagerness, which is the way we should receive the messages from God. I'm so eager to know what God has to say. But they examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul said was true. You know, one way to just wrap all of that up is this statement. No, no matter where you fall on that, on that spectrum of how you feel about supernatural teachings, pursue Christ-likeness and making Jesus known to others over and above all else. If you live by that rule, no matter what your theology is on this and you know, how comfortable you are with supernatural, and like as long as you have this in the forefront, you'll be, you'll be fine. Because discipleship, is pursuing the character of Jesus Christ in us, becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a lifelong process and making him known to others. That is, when we come to church, it is so that when we leave, we are more Christ-like. Um, and, you know, when we get together with one another, we should be pursuing that. Our time together should, 
lead us to be more like Christ and to make him known even more, to be involved in bringing people that are far from God, to bring them closer to God. And if you do that, you won't get off track. But it's so easy to make other things more important. It could be our experiences. It might be even knowledge. You know, I'm dumping so much Bible on you today. But, you know, in the end, it, it's not how much you know that makes you a great Christian. It's important. But the end is that we transform into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the true measure. Um, and so anytime we supplant that pursuit, becoming like Christ and making him known to others, we'll get off track. And that's true whether we're pursuing an experience over that, whether it's any other Christian movement, uh, whether it's knowledge, whether it's some specific method in church world stuff, whether it's a theological pedigree or your politics, or just being radical. That was, in, that was big for a while. It's like, oh, radical Christianity. So, you know, the thing that, that was forefront was like, what's the most radical thing you did? Well, the most radical thing you could do is become like Jesus Christ and make him known to others. And as long as we keep that right here in the front of our hearts and our minds, we will continue to move forward in discipleship. Last way God speaks to us, or not last way, second to last way. Sorry, you guys okay? Okay. All right, still breathing. That's good to know. Uh, the Bible, God speaks to us through the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The word of God that we have is inspired by him. And it's profitable. It's good for us. It's useful to teach us how to live. When we don't do it, it rebukes us. After it rebukes us, it corrects us. It tells us how to get back on the right path. And after we get back on the right path, it trains us in righteousness so that we don't make that same mistake again. We continue to move forward in becoming like Christ and making him known. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's like your word speaks to me and leads me. And Paul said in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We want to hear what God has to say, what is God's will, it comes, we understand it through the renewing of our mind, and when we do that, we will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says that this is a transformational process that comes by the renewing of our mind. You know, when you become a Christian, God changes things internally, and a lot about you will change immediately, but after that, it's a process. It's a process of learning God's words and allowing him to speak to you through the Bible and he renews our mind. If you've been a Christian a week, I bet you're already thinking differently. If you've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 30 years, you look back on your time, on your life before you're Christian, I bet you think differently. That's been the, the slow transformation of your mind through the word of God. That's how God speaks to us. You know, the upside of the Bible is that when it comes to hearing God speak, the Bible is objective, it's time-tested, and it's proven. 
You know, it's supernaturally preserved by a supernatural, supernatural God. So no other way God speaks to us is going to trump what God has done in his word. Why would God supernaturally preserve it and then violate it in any way? It, it's, it's the thing that we got to keep reaching back to. Is this scriptural? And again, we can twist the scriptures, but we've got to do our work and look back on that. And then the, the downside is the Bible wasn't written to us. So it was written for us, but not to us. And what that means is, you know, in interpreting the Bible, we, we read the Bible with its plain meaning, which its plain meaning is what did it mean to the people that it was written to? Sometimes we use the Bible, we use the Bible like, you know, the magic eight ball. And you have to be a little older to know what that is, but there was like this thing that looked like an eight ball and had a little screen on it. And you asked it a question and you shook it and then the answer would come up. It'd be like, will Cindy go out with me a second time? <laughs> Not a chance, you know. <laughs> and sometimes you read, we, we treat the Bible like that. We go like, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go thou and do likewise. You can get all messed up like that. So there's interpretation. There's work to be done. That's why Paul said to Timothy, the, the, the one who teaches the scripture must cut the word straight, must correctly handle the word of God. He was using a tent maker's um, a metaphor here. You got to like cut the pattern right. You have to use the scripture correctly. It takes some interpretive work. You know, I'm not trying to take advantage of a situation, but I just want to like stop here and say, okay, you know, the Bible, because we have a baptism coming up, let me just talk eyeball to eyeball to you Christians, okay? You know, the Bible clearly says that when we receive Christ, we should be baptized. And, you know, Jesus said our mission is to go out and make disciples and baptize them. And often you see baptism linked directly with the gospel. When Peter preached, he says, believe and be baptized. And, you know, I know some of you struggle with that. But... What does the scripture say? Does the scripture say that a believer should be baptized? You know, Jesus was baptized. So this is a good example of like how we, we struggle with it. I know it's weird. I know um, it can be challenging and some of you are freaked out to come up front here and do all that. But, you know, and you might even think that, that God told you something different. I know I said that in my word, but I have a different word for you. That you get an you absolution or whatever. You get a, you know, a buy on that one. Like, you don't. If you're a brand new Christian, the Bible says you should be baptized. If you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've been putting it off, it's like, you should be baptized. That's a little infomercial in the middle there, so thank you for bearing with me there. You guys okay? Still awake? We're down to the last point. You ready? The last one is prayer. God speaks to us through prayer. I love this. And this happens uh, several times in the, in the narrative of David's life. In 2 Samuel 2.1, In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up 
to one of the towns of Judah, he asked, and the Lord said, go up. And David asked, more specifically, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. And what I love about that is, you know, David was a very focused person. He had a plan. And yet you constantly see him stopping and inquiring of the Lord. Now, scholars tell us that that's a, that was a thing that he did. It was a process, a procedure. But part of that procedure was prayer. And all it's saying is that David sought God in his decisions. He was looking to hear the voice of God. In Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So even Jesus got away. So prayer isn't just like giving God my list. It's conversation with God. And sometimes you need some extended, away, quiet, conversation with God. When I do that, I write my prayers because it slows me down. And as I do that, you hear God. I don't, I, I mean, I personally don't hear an audible voice, but I, I can sense that God is leading me and speaking to me. You know, you'll notice here that, uh, that there's no up and downside to prayer. You know why that is? Because there's no downside to it. It's all up. If you're seeking to hear, if you want to hear the voice of God, all of these other ways are important. But it, would, it might be good to just get away and spend 30 minutes or an hour or a whole weekend just you and God to get some clarity on some of the things that you're hoping to hear from God on. I know that um, we're all in different places here. And I know I've been super professorial. Is that the word today? Boom. Um, but most of us sitting here today, the reason you're here is we want to hear the voice of God. And, you know, we've listed seven today. And I, I know that that's the academic part, but I also know that some of you are sitting here today, and you really need to hear from God. You have a big decision to make. Maybe you're right on the edge of faith, and you're like, God, I, I want to believe in you. I want to understand who you are, but I need some help. Some of you are just trying to figure out what's the next step, or are you going to make this move in your career or are you going to join a group at Sunridge or whatever? That could be really basic things, but we're all seeking the voice of God in different ways. You know, Jeremiah gives us a great promise when he says, you know, you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Those that seek me, eventually you will find me. And if that's you, if you're seeking God, and you need to hear his voice, whether it's like casually or you're desperate. We have that promise that God will answer. He will answer in one of these seven ways we've talked about or some mix of all of them. But you will hear from him if you put yourself in a place to hear him. Let's pray.